Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. We have one chance to reach these people. No one's ever made contact with these people and lived to talk about. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. If you're joining us over at the Beacon, thanks for being here today. And also, if you're watching online, appreciate you tuning in today. So how many of you have seen that movie, The End of the Spear? Just show of hands. Only a few of you. Uh, I just You put that on your watch list. It's actually a really uh, good movie about five missionaries who, back in 1956, went to eastern Ecuador to evangelize an unreached tribe, the Akua tribe. Now, all five missionaries were killed by that Akua tribe. Two of the more famous missionaries' names are Jim Elliott and Nate Saint. You might have heard of those names. And the story could have ended with their death, but it didn't. Um, Within two years, Jim Elliott's widowed wife, Elizabeth, and her daughter, Valerie, as well as Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, moved to the location where that tribe lived and started living with them. And because of their love and forgiveness, like almost the whole tribe comes to know Jesus as a result. Nate Saint's son, Steve, ended up moving there when he was 10 years old after his father's death. And he and his family still live there today doing ministry and with that tribe and in that part of the country. Jim Elliott was quoted as saying, he's one of the missionaries that was killed, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. How many of you know Jim Elliott's in heaven right now? And he got a great reward for risking his life. But it's not just Jim Elliott that I want to talk about. His families as well continued that mission, knowing that they were risking their lives for Jesus. Man, we need more people like that today in our world, don't we? People who are willing to risk everything for the sake of the gospel. Well, we use that opening video as an illustration to uh, just an, uh, remind us of our mission or our series this, this month. It's called Risk Takers, Finding Our Courage in an Unpredictable World. 
And it's a series about modern-day heroes who risk their life for God and for others, and also biblical heroes who risk their lives for God and for others. And my hope is as we study these, these people's lives and their willingness to risk everything, that some of that courage rubs off, rubs off on us. So today we're going to be studying the lives of three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And for many of you, you can probably remember that as a Bible school story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Um, if you're a VeggieTales fan, you call them, sh- what would I have the title of Shack, Matt, what is it? Rack Shack and Benny. Yeah, that's actually our message title coming up, Rack Shack and Benny. Uh, and you can turn to Daniel chapter uh, 3. We'll be there. Daniel is in, near the end of the New Testament, and we'll be reading the story um, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and I would just encourage you, this may be familiar, but look at it with new eyes. Um, because, man, as I was reading that this week, God just really spoke to me. Um, certainly as we can apply some of those lessons to our lives today. But let me set this up. So um, the, the time is around 600 BC. The main characters are Jehoiakim. He's the king of Judah. And then you have Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar attacks Judah and conquers Judah. And I would say only because Judah had turned away from God again. If you read the story of of Israelites and Judah, um, they continued to follow God and walk away from God and follow God and walk away from God. And at this time, they had walked away from God. And Nebuchadnezzar attacks Jerusalem. He actually takes Jehoiakim over to Babylon, and all the riches of the temple as well. But he also takes the young, gifted men of Judah. And four of those young men are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, they believe that the age of these young men is around 11 to 13 years old. So get an idea of that, 11 to 13 years old. And so they, t- they take them captive, and they take them to Babylon to train them in the local language, to train them, to educate them. And uh, after three years, the plan is to put them into service for the king. That's the whole idea. Get these young, talented men and bring them, and we'll train them up to be in service for the king. Well, those four young men excelled greatly, and uh, they were at the top of their class. And Daniel even was known for interpreting dreams. He had a spiritual gift at that point to interpret dreams. So things are going pretty well for these four young men. But then one day, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And so he calls upon his wise men and he says, I need you to interpret the dream. And they're like, okay, tell us the dream. We'll interpret it. He goes, no, no, no. You tell me the dream. Then I'll know it's from God. And so all the wise men are like, we we can't, we can't do that. And he's, the king gets upset and decides to kill all of the wise men. It's going to kill them all. And so Daniel hears about this because people are coming to kill him as well. He's considered one of the, the wise men, as well as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he gets together with the four, or the, the four of them get together and he says, hey, we need to pray because we're going to die tomorrow if we can't come up with this dream and the interpretation. So overnight, Daniel has the dream and he gets the interpretation. So he shares it with the king. Uh, the next day, and then Daniel gets promoted to the head of all of the wise men, 
And he then puts his neck out for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he they helped, they, they prayed, and they become Daniel's administrators over the entire province of Babylon. So these four young men have been promoted over all of the wise men in Babylon. And they're probably just teenagers at this time. They're probably still just teenagers. So again, things are going pretty well. But then King Nebuchadnezzar, he decides to create an idol, 90 feet tall, made of gold, and nine feet wide, 90 feet tall. I was thinking about that when I was working on the message. I think this is maybe 25 feet tall to the, to the top of the ceiling here. 90 feet tall, just huge, huge. And then he commands everyone to bow to this. I don't know why the king comes up with this idea, but he comes up with this idea and commands everyone to bow to this idol. Whenever they hear like the call to bow to the idol, they'll play all these instruments. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down to this idol. They knew about the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus that says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So they knew the Ten Commandments, and they knew it was wrong for them to bow before this idol. Now, I don't know what Daniel's up to during all of this, but because he's not in this part of the story, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't do it. Well, all of the other wise men and leaders are jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so they turn him in. They turn him in to the king and say, hey, didn't you say that if we don't bow to this idol, we're going to get thrown into this fiery furnace? He's like, oh, yeah. He goes, well, you know, those three Israelites you kind of put in charge, they're not doing it. They're not doing it. So this infuriates King Nebuchadnezzar. So we're going to pick up the story from there with verse 13. I'm going to read it just right from Scripture because I love the way that Daniel describes this part of the story. So furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now I love this part of the scripture because King Nebuchadnezzar is giving them grace. Do you notice that? He's not like, he didn't immediately throw them into the fiery furnace. He's saying, now if you're ready... We're going to do this thing again, and if you bow down, very good, very good. And he gives them that chance. Well, here's their response. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They just matter-of-factly refuse. Well, this is the king of Babylon. <laughs> He's not used to having people tell him no, right? I mean, and they just said, sorry, king, we're just not going to do it. 
And so that, man, that makes the king even more upset. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He wasn't going to give them a second chance. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. I don't know why he needed the strongest soldiers, but he did. I guess they tied him up pretty tight. So these men wearing the robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. How many of you know the story doesn't end there, right? It looked like all was lost, didn't it? I mean, they're bound super tight. <laughs> the furnace is super hot. I mean, they're tossed in and, and the soldiers got too close and they all died. I mean, this, this looks like the end, but that's not the end. And man, by the way, some of you need to hear that today. It's not the end, right? It's not the end. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. By the way, those are the people that turn them in. You know, they're all in amazement now. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. The ropes burned off, but they were perfectly unharmed. And one of the things that you can tell, one of the ways you can tell that Scripture is real, uh, and it's not just a made-up story, is they have these kind of details. The details of there was no smell of fire on them. You know, when Rose and I were here yesterday, many of you were here uh, burning leaves. And we had to throw our clothes in the washer when we got home because it stunk so bad. You know what I mean? But they just know. There's like, there wasn't a hint of smoke on any of them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So our message title is Rakshak and Benny, the fearlessness of youth. And I'm hoping that some of that fearlessness that they had will rub off on us today. But first, let me pray. I'll give you a couple of lessons that we can learn from the story. So God, I come to you and, and I just thank you for the truth of your scripture, Lord. I thank you for these stories that, it, that we can learn from and be inspired from, Father. 
So Lord, today, I pray that you would open up our, our hearts and our, and our minds, Father, to receive from you. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to be here and to, to speak through me and to speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a couple of lessons we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you can fill these in on your, on your handout if you would like. First of all, they knew their God was greater than their king. They knew their God was greater than their king. Verse 16, they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up because they knew that God was greater. Right? They knew that God was greater than their king. They knew that the penalty of not obeying the king was, was the death penalty. But they had a God who was greater than their king. The God, their God had commanded them not to worship idols. And it was at odds with what the king was commanding them to do. And they chose to obey who was greater. And it was such a strong witness. King Nebuchadnezzar, man, he witnessed it. He saw it and he understood everything that they did. In, in verse 28, after they had come out of the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. I mean, the king saw it, that they trusted in God and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Their faith was so strong that even the king took notice. So let's, let's get personal a little bit. We just had an election, I think, right? Is that something that happened this past week? Yeah. And it may not have gone the way that you wanted it to go, right? There are actually... A lot of Christians I know who are worried and concerned based on the outcome of this election. But here's a question I want you guys to ask yourselves. Who is greater, God or the President of the United States? When did we start putting our faith in our government instead of our God? When, when did that happen? Because God is so much greater than whoever is president of this country. I don't, I don't, I didn't hear an amen. Is there not? Is that, is that true? Is it true? God is so much greater than any government, than any president, than any dictator, than any king in this world. We don't need to be concerned. Because God did not get off his throne last Tuesday and hand it to somebody else, did he? No, it didn't happen. God is still on the throne. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. They're like, King, you might have the power to take my life, but you don't have the power to take my soul. They knew who they were serving. And they knew that God was greater, so much greater. Now, I do find peace in this section of Scripture. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says... Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, 
For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So whether Trump has some type of miraculous rebound or Biden is our president for the next four years, we can trust that God is still in control. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yes. It has not changed. It has not changed. I will say that we are supposed to submit to our authorities in all situations except when that law or that rule contradicts Scripture, right? So we're supposed to submit to our authorities except if it contradicts Scripture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did that. They had excelled as leaders and rulers under the king. But when the king made a rule that was contrary to what God had said, then they just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, so far in Indiana today, uh, there are no rules that contradict what Scripture says, at least for us as individuals, for us as a church. We can still worship in freedom, but there may come a day, and Scripture actually says there will come a day when it will no longer be legal to do the things that we're doing today. That one day, Christians will be hated and they will be persecuted. But that's not today. That's not today. And even if that's the case, what are you going to do? Let's pursue and serve the one who is greater. In all situations, regardless of what Fox News says, or CBS, or CNN, God is still very much in control. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that first, that first point. They knew their God was greater than their king. There's a second lesson that I want to take from this story, too. It's your second point. Because they gave us a great definition of what faith is. And I love this, because we're just going gonna to dive into what they said in verses 17 and 18. Because they said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we, are, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is a great example of faith. They believe that God could save them. They believed that God would save them. And even if God didn't, they weren't going to bow to the king or his idol. See that? I mean, they believed it could happen. They believed it would happen. And they even said, and even if it didn't happen, I'm not going to serve you. I'm still going to follow my God. That's a great definition of faith. It comes from uh, Hebrews 11 uh, just states it another way. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is a hard thing to do. But when we have faith, we are confident of what we hope for. We are assured of what we do not see. So these young men were confident that God could save them. They were confident that God would save them. And they didn't really have a plan B. It's just like, and even if he doesn't, I'm still going to believe him, right? I'm still going to serve him. I'm not going to bow down. And that's how 
faith is supposed to happen in our lives, guys. It's how it's supposed to look. We need to be confident in the power of God. We need to be confident that he will rescue us, that he is for us. And we need not have a plan B. <laughs> Let me say that another way. Not having a plan B. This is a hard thing for, I think, it's for me. I'm a planner. I don't know about all of you. Um, but like when I pray for someone, you know what's happening in my mind? Like if I'm praying for healing, you know what's happening? Well, what happens if they don't get healed? What am I going to say? What am I going to do? Do you know what I mean? It's hard, but that's not the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be just focused on God can heal. God will heal. And I'm going to ask him to do it. Let everything else work out for itself. But we're not alone in that. If you're, if you're like that, if you're like, oh, it's, that's just hard. This faith thing is just hard. It's okay. John Wimmer is... Um, He's one of the fathers of the Vineyard Movement. He was pastor of a church out in California. And he kind of set a lot of the culture of the Vineyard Movement. And so I found this video of him telling a story I had read about of the first time that he ended up praying and someone getting healed. And I love the story because he's very human in the midst of this. Um, but so he had started this church and he had read scripture and scripture said that you pray for people and they get healed. And so he just started preaching that God wants to heal us physically. He wants to heal us supernaturally. And no one got healed. And so he prayed again, and he preached again, and no one got healed. And he just kept on doing this. And pretty soon, people in his church started leaving the church. They're like, you know, all he preaches about is this healing thing, and, and it's not happening. And so we're just going to go down the road to this other church. And he just keeps on preaching it and trying to believe it and trying to believe it. So this is kind of a grainy uh, video, but watch this as he describes the first time someone gets healed. So I get there and I knock at the door and a guy comes to the door, leads me in the house. And I mean, he, I thought she would be out in the living room in her house. He takes me right straight back into their bedroom. I mean, this woman was sick. No woman would let you see her looking like that. <laughs> This woman was sick, you know, sick, sick, sick. I mean, she was sick. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, she's sick. <laughs> not good, not good, you know. This is not good. This is not going to make me look good. This woman is sick, you know. She had a high fever, face was all flushed, you know. And I walked over and I mumbled some terrible, I don't mean, I don't know what I said. I, and I turned around and I began explaining to the guy why people don't always get well when you pray for them. I did. I, I began explaining to him why they don't always get well when you pray for them. And, and he's looking at me, but he's a little bit taller than I am, and he's looking over my shoulder and he's grinning. And I suddenly realized he's not looking at me, he's looking over my shoulder. And I turn around and there's his wife, she's up. She's got her house coat on. She's already brushed her hair, and she's making the bed. And I said, what happened to you? <laughs> and, she, and she says, I'm well. You healed me. I said, oh, no, I can't heal anybody. <laughs> and she says, well, you healed me. I'm feeling fine. You know, would you like to stay for some coffee or something? You know? I said, no, I think I'll just go... <laughs> 
And so there I went out the door. And I get out the front lawn, and I look up, and I go, All right! We got one! Now, John Wimber is known for praying for literally hundreds of people, maybe even thousands of people to become healed after that moment. But he, he had faith. And I, and I love that example, though, because he was doubting even as he was you know, praying. He, he prayed and then he turned and started explaining why sometimes God doesn't heal. I've been there. I've been there. But he did have some faith. Right? I mean, he showed up. He prayed a prayer. He had just that little, little bit of faith. It doesn't take much faith, though, in all honesty, to see God move. Here's a story um, of someone who struggled. It's in the book of Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 9. This guy struggled with having faith, and Jesus was right there, and Jesus was performing miracles. But I want to read this because it's just really cool the way this works. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus replies, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Then he brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus' response is, if you can? If you can? Did you just say if? To Jesus? Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He wanted to believe. He wanted to believe. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. I love this story because, again, it's just showing the humanity of people. It's like, I, I, I want to believe. I, I want to. Help me. Help me with my unbelief. Even though Jesus called him out, he still healed the boy. He still healed him. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus says, I truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is a picture of a mustard seed, just so you have an idea of what he was talking about. It doesn't take much faith, but there is a definition of faith, right? Confidence in what we hope for, 
an assurance about what we do not see. We don't know how God's, we don't have to know how God's going to work it out, right? We can, <laughs> we can still have faith and stand in the gap and just believe what God has said to us. Believe the scripture that's been spoken to us and over us. And I, as I was putting this message together, I felt like there's probably some people here today who have been beating yourself up because you struggle with having faith. You see other people and you compared it to other people and you go, well, they have faith and man, my faith is weak, it's small. And God, just, I just want, you know, I believe that God wants to say to you today, that's okay. That's okay. I'll take what you have. Everyone who's here today, I would say you probably have some faith because you're here today or you're watching online. There's a little bit of faith in there. And we can grab a hold of that and walk in it. Believe that God is able. Believe that God will. And have no plan B. That's faith. And we can step in it and we can stand in it. Don't let the enemy beat you up because your faith is small. Just pray to God. Say, God, help me in my unbelief. Strengthen me. Increase my faith. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were rescued from the fiery furnace. Even if they weren't, is God still good? Did they still have faith? Did they do the right thing? Yeah. We can't pretend to understand the incredible brilliance of our almighty God. We have no way to comprehend or understand his plans. And they're, just, they're too huge for us. But we can still believe him, that he's capable, that he will, and have no plan B. So here's your last fill-in. Even when our faith is small, God is still able. Right? God is still able. All right, so I'm going to turn the beacon over to Zach. He's going to lead a ministry time there. I'm going to invite Matt to come up here and lead us in a time of prayer as well. So this morning, I want to pray about faith. That's what Clint, that whole second point was about faith. And I want to explain it this way. Um, it's about today's response is going to be about drawing a line in the sand. So let me explain that to you. There are times in our lives, and I know for me specifically, there have been times in my life where I have just drawn a line in the sand and said, this is what I'm believing. Several years ago, um, when I accepted Christ, and you, you know, I accepted Christ, and then there would be that little seed of doubt that would come into my mind, and I just decided, you know what? I don't know if this is all true, but I'm going to draw the line in the sand, and I'm going to believe it. And then there are different, that was kind of like my first draw a line in the sand moment, and then there have been different draw a line in the sand moments for me, speaking in, in truth and, and in, my, in my faith. And so that's what I want to pray for us today. Is there a 
draw a line in the sand moment that you need today. And I'm going to list some things, and I don't want to list these just to box them in. I'm going to list them to maybe give us an example. And some of them came from what Pastor Clint talked about. So like healing. Maybe you've had that doubt in your head that like, oh, can we really heal? But today you're just going to draw that line in the sand and say, yes, I believe that it can happen. Maybe your draw on the line moment is that you're going to, his first point was that they knew God was greater than our king. And so maybe that's the moment this morning is just going to be, you know what? I'm going to praise God over everything else. I'm going to draw that line in the sand. And I'm going to praise God over everything today. For me personally, I think this prayer for me today is that I'm going to draw the line in the sand and say that God is in control. I have no idea why. I've never really been a real political guy, but this, the election... And, and Clint said it today, like the election shook me up. But today I'm drawing a line in the sand saying, God's in control. He's got this. Why am I worried about who my president is, my king? That's my king. I'm drawing the line in the sand saying God is greater than that. That's what I'm drawing my line for today. So I just want you to think, do you have a line that you need to draw today? Just think for a second. What is that? Is there one? If you have a line that you've drawn, would you stand? standing with you this morning as well because mine's about that control I've got to give I got to draw a line in the sand and say I got to put God in control anyone else before we start to pray Thank you guys for standing. So here's what we're going to do to pray. I'm going to I'm going to say a prayer over these people, but if you are near them, you know you can you can help pray by raising your hand um, to them as well. So I want to pray for for us that are standing. So God, you know what's on our hearts and minds to these standing in the room. You know what what that line, you've placed that line for them. So I pray for that this morning, God. That is a line that, that we will never cross again. Whether it's a line of faith, a line of trust. A line of 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 pressing in. God, that you, that you take that line 
and you basically make it a wall for us that we can't cross it because, because we're not going to. You know what's on our hearts, God. So I pray for the, I don't know what it is, maybe it's the self-discipline or the willpower for us not to cross that line, that we're just going to draw this line in the sand today, God. And we're never going to cross it again. We're just going to put our faith right there. Thank you so much for them being, being willing to stand, God, and say, this is my line. Be with them in their, in their walk, God. Why don't the rest of you stand and I'll say a closing prayer. So God, I'm thinking right now of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and you being in the, the furnace with them. So we just say thank you for being in, being in the fire with us. There's a worship song that's coming on my mind. I don't know the name of it. I don't know who sings it, but it says there was another in the fire and that was you. And so you were in their fire and you're also in our fire this morning, God. So we thank you for that. God, we just, we praise you above everything. We praise you above everything in our lives. We thank you so much for, for wanting to be a part of, of our life. The last thing I want to pray, God, is as we leave this building, one of the things that Clint said this morning was that they saw all the people, they saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they acted. And so I pray that as we leave, that people see us as Christians and they act like we do because they saw us and they saw our faith, God. Thank you for today. Thank you for meeting us here. Continue to be with us throughout the week. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, if there's any other specific thing that you need prayer for, you can come up front. We have a prayer team that will pray for you. Um, other than that, yeah, you guys, um, we're dismissed, and we'll see you next week. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.